the book of Hosea and uh, chapter number 1 and uh, verse number 1. We've been sort of looking at the prophets and their message. Interested in how God took a particular word and poured it into these individual men. And then he would take the circumstances and he would stir it and blend it and mix it and then graft it until the man and the message were inseparable. The sermon and the servants seemed to be one and the same. Paul talked about it in the New Testament when he talked about that, that word that God has worked effectually in you and I. Each one of us, he takes his word when he saves us and he pours that word in us and then he mixes and meshes and stirs and blends and engrafts until it's not just a book in our hand, nor is it just a verse in our head, but it is a word in our heart. It is something that we cannot separate ourselves from. It's not something we just pick up on Sunday and lay down Sunday night. But that Word lives in us and out of us throughout the rest of the week. It has an impact upon our directions and our decisions, our thoughts and our intents. The Word of God is living in us. We saw that last night in Ezekiel. Now that Ezekiel had a living word that lived in him so it could live out of him. God's word was in shoe leather in Ezekiel's life so that the world might be able not only to hear that word but to see that word. And this world needs a word and if they get a word it's going to have to come through you and me but the only way it can come through us or out of us is it has to be worked in us. A peculiar word. But we're going to look at Hosea tonight and we're going to see how that this Word of God is, is not only a living Word that is worked in us and out of us, but it is a Word of love as is going to be emphasized and is emphasized in Hosea's prophecy, how God worked a Word of love into Hosea so he could work that Word of love out of him for a nation and also for an individual girl by the name of Gomer. God's word of love. As a matter of fact, it's the first word that you ever received from God. Is that not true? The first word that I got from heaven was that Jesus loved me enough that he would die for me. To give himself a ransom on my behalf. And then he shed that love abroad in my heart. And since that day, it's not just been, an, it's not just been uh, truth and it's not just been Bible and it's not just been word, but it's been a word that has been mixed with the love of God to be delivered to this world and to all that I come in contact with. Paul said it well. He said, speaking the truth in love. We can have doctrine, we can have truth, we can have the Bible, and we can even memorize it, and we can go around and beat everybody over the head with it and tell everybody how they're doing wrong and how they need to follow God. But I'm going to tell you something, if that message is not saturated with the love of Christ, it won't do you any good and it won't do anybody else any good. And so he takes Hosea and he works a loving word in him. I'm glad that he worked a loving word in me. It's not a matter of me just being right and the world being wrong and I'm saved and everybody's a sinner, but it's a matter that within my heart God birthed a burden and a love for people that do not know him and a desire that they would come to know him. Let's see this, this word of love that God works in Hosea. Chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible said, The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea. Look in verse 2. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, 
Go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms. For the land hath committed great whoredom departing from me. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblium, which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel, for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu. Verse 6. She conceived again and bare a daughter. And God said unto him, Call her name Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Verse 8. Now, when she had weaned Lo-Rahama, she conceived and bare a son. Then said God, Call his name Lo-Ami, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. Chapter 2 and verse 1. Say ye unto your brethren, Am I, and to your sisters, Ruhamah, Plead with your mother, plead. For she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. Verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, bring her into the wilderness, and speak comfortably unto her. And I will give unto her vineyards from thence, and the valley of Acre for a door of hope, or the valley of trouble. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, and as in the days when she came up out of the land of Egypt. Verse 19. And I will betroth un thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness, and in judgment, and in loving kindness, and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. So... I bought her to me for fifteen pieces of silver for an omer of barley and an half omer of barley. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot, and thou shalt not be for another man. So will I also be for thee. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, without a prince, without a sacrifice, without an image, and without an ephod, and without a teraphim. Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. The book of Hosea, of course, is a historical book. God comes to a young prophet, and he says to him, I want to use you as a type. I want to make a sermon out of you, a comparison. I want you to go, strangely enough, he says, to marry a harlot that's come out of adultery and, and of harlotry and so on. And I want you to bring her into your house or into your fold, and I want you to love her. But he said, it's going to be according to my love for Israel, who also has committed whoredoms. And I want them to see a picture of me in the life that you're having to live. But what's more than that, I want them to see my love through your love. And so I want you to go and I want you to marry this young lady. And of course, he does, he goes and... He marries this girl who is a woman of a very dark past and evil deeds. And, uh, of course, as 
the marriage proceeds, there are three children born. It seems as though from verse uh, number uh, five, verse number two of chapter number one, that she brings children into this marriage because he said, go take a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms. It's almost like she already had some children out of her past. And then they marry and there are three children that are born. The one that I'm interested in is in verse number nine when he says, call his name Lo am I, for ye are not my people. And in this type and comparison, it seems as though that she has had a child. This third child may not even be Hosea's child. It seems to have a question mark to it. And so this historical setting turns into a setting of heartbreak. This woman is not done with her past. She has not left her vices and her sinful ways, and she has brought them with her into the marriage, and she continues in that lifestyle, and it has broken Hosea's heart as it breaks the heart of God because the children of Israel and how they have turned their backs upon him after the way that he has loved them. And so in chapter number 2 and verse 1 and 2, he calls the children together and he moves at this angle, hoping to touch her. And he says to the children, I want you to plead with your mama. I want you to beg her and ask her to come back and to be my wife. And so he involves the children. But it is indicated from chapter number 3 that the children were not able to woo her nor to change her because she continues on on that path and on that lifestyle. So much so that in chapter number 2 we understand that she has gone to the very depths of iniquity until she has entered into bondage. She is not her own anymore. She has become a slave. And now she's going to be set upon the slave block and auctioned off on a certain day. What a story of heartbreak. What a trail of, of darkness and of sinfulness. But not only is this book a book of, of history and of heartache, but it is a, a book of hope. I'm glad God always gives us hope in the worst of situations. And in this comparison, he gives Hosea some hope. He said then, verse number 14, he said, Hosea, Here's what I'm going to do to Israel, and the same thing that will happen to you and your wife. He said, I'm going to allure her, and I'm going to speak to her comfortably unto her, and I'm going to give her vineyards, and I'll give her the door of hope for the valley of Akron. He said in verse number 19, I'll betroth her unto myself in loving kindness and mercies and, and uh, so on. And in verse number 5, he said, They will, the children of Israel will return. He said, Hosea, I know this is a sad, sad story, but he said, I, I want you to know before it's over with, love is going to prevail. It is the prevailing substance of the Christian life. The love of God is the hope for the sinner and the saint alike. And so it all comes back together through the love of God. Now let's go back to chapter number 1, and I have three things that I want to project to you tonight concerning this word of love that God has, has worked in and is working in Hosea so that he might work it out of him. And in it, I want us to see the picture of how God works His love, His word of love, the truth of love into our hearts that He might work it out of us because our children need, they don't just need human love, they need divine love. The people we work with, they don't just need human compassion, they need divine compassion. Uh, this world that we live in, it doesn't just need a simple handout, but it needs the hand of God from the heart of God, it needs love, a word of love. Now, I want you to notice with me, first of all, in Hosea's experience, we see a message of God's remarkable love. We see a message of God's remarkable love. Let's look at it here. First of all, I want you to notice with me that this message of God's remarkable love is indicated in that it is remarkable as to whom he tells Hosea to marry. Now, I'm sure that in Hosea's day, he's the young 
preacher, and he's, uh, of course, available. And uh, there are a lot of the families in the community connected to the religious system of that day would have been so delighted if somehow Hosea would have fallen in love with their daughter and uh, would become excited when they said, oh, did you see, he stood, he talked a little longer to our daughter tonight than he normally does. I think maybe he has the eye for her. Maybe he likes her. Somebody else said, no, he don't like her. He likes the deacon's daughter. Haven't you noticed how he shakes hands with her? And everybody just kind of in their mind in hope that, that maybe one of the daughters, at least in the church or in the community, uh, would somehow become the wife of this uh, young preacher. But then the news comes. Did you hear that Hosea, the preacher, is going to get married? Somebody said, oh, well, who's he married? Is he married the young lady that plays the organ or the piano? I thought, that no, he's not marrying anybody in the church. Oh, we must be marrying somebody from uh, another church. One of, uh, one of his uh, prophet friends got a daughter, and he's probably marrying her. No, he ain't married no prophet's daughter. Matter of fact, Word is out that he's marrying a girl from across the track. They said her name was Gomer. And I can hear the young ladies as they get together and clamor and they talk to their parents and say, Oh, Daddy, this ain't going to be good for the church. I went to school with that girl. And I tell you, she's wild as a buck. I mean, she's not a kind of girl that we'd even want to be in this church. Let alone, man, to our preacher, something's got to be done. Surely he ain't marrying that girl that's across the track. <laughs> Somebody said, what's he doing? I'm going to tell you what he's doing. He's expressing the love of God as the love of God is always expressed to the worst of the worst. God loves sinners. He died, Jesus did, for sinners. And when he came to me, he came to the worst of the worst. Aren't you glad he's out to get sinners? Now I realize that a lot of folks have had a problem with this text and they've tried to explain it away and say that maybe Jesus, uh, that God didn't really say to Hosea what it seems like he said. And I readily uh, confess that this is not the kind of counseling that you would give to a young man to go out and find a woman like this. It's not your everyday standard marriage counsel. And if there happened to be anybody in here tonight, especially young people, I always tell them, now don't get something harebrained in your head because God, yes, he did tell Hosea to do this, but this is the only time he ever told anybody to do this. So this is not the norm. But somebody said, what was God doing? What was he thinking? Well, it's none of your business. It's all his business. But one thing I know for sure, he's showing you and I his love for the worst of the worst. It is a message of God's remarkable love in who he loves. It is a message of God's remarkable love that God is working in Hosea. You can see it in his life and in his heart and the sparkle of his eye as he falls in love for this treacherous woman of low degree. It is a message of remarkable love, not, in, not only in, in who he loves, the worst of the worst, but it's a message of remarkable love in, in, in that when he loved her. Now, it's not indicated in Scripture anywhere that God said to Hosea, I want you to go marry Gomer, but don't worry about her. I know she's got a bad past, but she's turned over a new leaf. She's joined church now, and she's been baptized, and she's a pretty good girl, so it'll be all right. From the indication of Scripture, there's nothing changed about this, this girl. He said, I want you to love her. And when he told him to go after her, she was not only the worst of the worst, but it was when she was at her worst. It was when she was in the depths of her vice and of her sinfulness that God sent Hosea after her to bring her into his life. 
As a matter of fact, that girl, God is telling Hosea, you go love her. But he's telling Hosea to love somebody that did not even have the capability of loving him back. This would not be a reciprocal love. She would not love him just because he's good to her or he come after her. She had no ability to love him back. Isn't that true of you and I? We had no ability, no divine ability to love Jesus even though that he loved us. And Hosea is going to have to live with a woman that's just there. She's not in love with him. She's just there as his wife. She has no ability to love him back. Somebody said, well, I'd love them if they'd love me. That's not scriptural. Huh? And if that was true, God wouldn't never love you and he wouldn't never love me because he loved us while we were yet in our sin. But it is a message of God's remarkable love. When we look at who he loves, when we look at when he loved her, but it is a message, can I say to you, of remarkable love, a word of remarkable love as to why he loved her. Why would he love someone like that? There is no doubt that there would have been many in that community that, as I've said, he could have picked out and they would have gladly married him. But yet he pursues this woman of a irreparable past and of, of present tense, evil, sinful uh, lifestyle. And someone would say, but Hosea, why in the world are you going over there? Why would you marry a girl like that? He said, I don't know, I just love her. That's all I can tell you. I, I, can, I, just, I just love her. A message of God's remarkable love. You see, aren't you glad that the Bible is not a book of definitions? There is no definition for some things, and one of them is the love of God. Though we would preach and have preached and preachers have preached since the beginning of time about the love of God, we have not even skimmed the surface of the ocean of God's love. There is no explanation of His love. As a matter of fact tonight, if you can explain to me why you love your wife, if you can tell me why you love your wife, I can tell you why you'll stop loving your wife. Hmm? Somebody said, oh, I'll tell you why I love my wife, because she's so beautiful, and that beautiful hair, and them beautiful eyes, and, and all of that other stuff. <laughs> we don't want to get into all that. But what happens when the day comes when she gets a little older? The figure eight turns into a big zero. <laughs> she don't look like the gal that walked the aisle. Honey, if you just loved her for her looks, you'll stop loving her. That's what Hollywood's all about. Not love, it's lust. But Hosea said, I, I love her. That's the reason I, but there is no definition as to this matter of love. Because love is not a definition, it is an experience. I can't tell you why God loves me, but I can tell you I have experienced his love. Though I can't define it, I have experienced it. And when God puts this message in him, he puts it in there for everybody in Israel. Everybody's talking about it. The poor boy's going off his rocker. He's crazy. He's going to ruin everything and the church and himself too. Why in the world would he put everything on the line for an old, no good, a no count girl like that? I'm going to tell you why. Because he loved her. The reason why God put up with Israel, cause he loved her. And the reason why God puts up with you and me, cause he loves us. It is a message that God is working in him. A message of God's remarkable love. 
Let's don't try to figure out what God's doing here and what he's saying to Hosea. Let's just rejoice that the Lord's trying to love an old sinner girl that one of these days we're going to see in heaven. I believe that, don't you? Just like he loved Israel and just like he loved you. It is a message of God's remarkable love. Secondly, I want you to notice it, then I move over for a second to chapter number 3, and I want you to notice that this, this message that God has worked in Hosea, that he is churning and turning and blending and engrafted in him, is a message not only of God's remarkable love, but it is a message of God's required love. You know what the greatest requirement in the Bible is, don't you? The greatest commandment, does anybody know? To love the Lord, that's the greatest requirement. Isn't that something? And, uh, and, and Jesus went on, he amplified that thing. He said all the other commandments rest upon that one. If you don't love God, none of the rest of them means anything. But he amplified it in the New Testament, and he said, I'm going to tell you something else. He said, you, the requirement is, if you're a child of God, love your enemies. Woo, boy, ain't that a commandment. It is the ultimate commandment. Look at it, if you will, here in chapter number 3. Now, let me say this. Chapter number 1, I think I could, could have slid under the radar and, and maybe did what God told me to do and, and sort of uh, made it up. In chapter 1, he said, go marry a woman. Well, anybody can marry a woman. Huh? <laughs> I mean, certainly somebody will marry you sooner or later. And I think that's what's happening nowadays. People are just getting married. Just marrying a man. Just marrying a woman. I mean, it's just time to get married. I need to get married. We're just going to get married. And then the rest of our days, we put up with one another. <laughs> huh? Truth of the matter is, even for us that, that, that uh, are married sitting here, when... When that wife, the young lady walked that aisle and, and they said the I do's and I don'ts and we said yes and all that other stuff, in the back of my mind we're thinking, boy, I'm going to tell you, I love this man, I love this woman, but there's some things that I don't like about him. He acts just like his daddy. Eats like him. He acts like his family. But I'm going to marry him and then I'll straighten him out. Yeah. <laughs> well, isn't that the truth of it? I'll marry him and I'll, I'm going to make the man out of him I think he ought to be and we spend the rest of our time the rest of our lives trying to make something out of each other and it don't work get old and just sit and growl at one another across the table still accusing each other of being like somebody we don't like <laughs> Woo, that's good preaching Huh? But did you notice? He did not say to Hosea, Hosea, just go marry a woman. In chapter number 3, he elevates that thing to where Hosea is not going to be able just to get by and slip under the radar and treat her any way he wants to and preach to her and act ugly and tell her what her past is and how he don't like her past. And the only reason why he married her is because he had to. He said there is an ultimate requirement in this matter of love, Hosea. I want you to go love a woman. Watch a different story. I want you to love your neighbor. I want you to love your enemies. I want you to love your wife. I want you to love your husband. I want you to love your pe the people around. I want you not just to put up with them and not just to get along with them and not try to straighten them out. I want you to love them. Brother, we talk about having revival. That one truth, if it got in our hearts and we got to seeing each other in the love of God, that'd be revival. Oh, she needed straightened out. If anybody needed preached to, she did. If anybody needed to be told off, ah, man, she needed to be told off. But he never told Hosea to straighten her out. He never said, Hosea, go over and tell her off. Preach to her. Tell her you're ashamed of her. No. He said, Jose, that ain't your job. I'll do the convicting. All I want you to know is you, you let her know you love her. That'll be the key to it. Huh? <laughs> huh? It ain't up to straighten him out. 
It ain't up to you to straighten her out. Get your hands off each other's throat. It won't work. Get somewhere along with God and say, Lord, would you help me not to concentrate on the faults and let me love her and love him with an everlasting love. Change your attitude towards your children. Yes, they do need to be straightened out sometimes. And I'm not saying it's wrong in a word. If God gives you a word of love to give to somebody, and I preach it many times, and I preach hard to sinners and saints alike, and I preach to myself, but honey, it has to come out of a heart of love. And you can say a lot in a heart of love that people can understand and they can see. He said, I want Israel to know that I love them. And I want this little girl to know that you, this ain't some religious rigmarole I'm putting you in. I'm just not trying to get her to come over and join the church. But I want you to know, I want her to know that I love her through your love. An ultimate requirement. I'm talking about a message of remarkable love, a word of remarkable love. But it is a message of God's required love. How ultimate it is. I want you to notice with me that this word of God that's being worked into Hosea's heart, mixed and meshed and stirred and blended, is not only a message of God's remarkable love, a message of God's required love, but I want you to notice that it is a message of God's redeeming love. You see, real love, divine love, is always connected to Redemption, it is inseparable. God loves you, therefore he gave his son on the cross to save you. A redeeming love. And I say to you, that's the only love that can help all situations in this world. And every love, every heart, any heart that can ever grasp the truth of redeeming love will never be the same. God wants us to have this message within us. Every time we look at a sinner, every time we look at our loved ones, every time we look at our neighbors, to realize, thank God, there's a message of redeeming love that can save and change that heart. Message of redeeming love. You say, well, preacher, how do you know? Because verse number 2 tells us that obviously this woman has come to the bottom. And uh, she has become a debtor and she is now a slave and has an owner and now she's going to be put with others on a block, a slave block, like you might do cattle in this day or might auction off furnitures or estate in this hour. She's going to be put on the slave block and uh, she's going to be sold. And her future all depends upon who is interested in buying her. Our future depended upon who was willing to buy us. Now, two or three things about this this message of redemption. Aren't you glad the power of the gospel to save sinners? Aren't you glad we've got a message that this world needs? What a message of redeeming love. For an old sinner girl that doesn't know anything about it, has no idea or no clue that God's anywhere in this mixture of what's happening in her life. She doesn't realize he's a coming to her on the wheels of love. Huh? Had no idea what was working in the heart of an old preacher, young preacher. God was going to love her. Whew. Just to think about what God wrought and what God did in the past would take an eternity to tell just to reach you with the gospel and to save an old sinner's soul. Redeeming love. Now, I want to, uh, I want to go into my mind and sort of picture how the setting was in that day as close to Scripture as I can. 
since I'm doing the preaching. And knowing the nature as we do of people and talk and things. This has been the worst of situations up to this day. If you can't see God in this, it's terrible. Man, I'm thinking of it in a church setting. I mean, the church is all to pieces at this point. And uh, the preacher, he don't he, he can't even preach half the time because he just gets up and cries and and uh, <laughs> and talks about the love of God and asks everybody to pray for him about his wife. And they're sitting back there thinking, well, you shouldn't have married her to start with, <laughs> huh? Yeah. And uh, I can see him, he's, he no doubt farms a little bit on the side. I know that because it's, it's uh, included in the price that he pays for her. It talks about how much he paid for her. We'll notice that it, it in, involved a crop, a, a seed. And in my mind's eye, I can see him up there plowing one afternoon and maybe one of the men of the community drops by, means well. And he sees him out there and he stops the mule, lays the plow down, walks over there and leans on the fence. And the fellow looks at him and he says, Hosea, preacher, said, uh, have you been by the post office the last day or two? He said, well, yeah, I have. He said, well, I guess you notice that there's a, there's a uh, poster up there and they're going to have an auction on Saturday. He said, yeah, I saw that. Well, he said, I couldn't help but notice that Gomer's on that paper. Now, preacher, I don't want to get into your business or anything like that. And, and we hate how things have turned out. It's been bad on the church. It's been bad on you. It's been bad on the community. Now we notice that she's gotten so bad, she got indebted. Only God knows what she did. She's messed up everything around here. And now she's going to be for sale. And, and preacher, I just come by to tell you now, I, I feel sorry for you and them younglings. I do. But I don't have no feelings for her the way she's carried on. And this, to be honest with you, I think it's better for all of us. I think it's better for you. It's better for the younglings. It's better for the church. It's just better for the community that it be done and over with. I, I'm just glad it's over with. I, I'm glad it's It's over. And I can see Hosea, he's had his head cocked a little bit. He ain't really been looking at him. Something's a churning on the inside, and he turns, and the tears are flowing down his cheek, and he said, oh, no, sir, it ain't over. <laughs> oh, it ain't over, preacher. Now we know you've done the best, and it ain't been your fault the way she's acting, and, and we know that you, you're the kids and everything, and surely, preacher, you ain't going to mess with this thing anymore. Just let it go. He said, well, I... I've thought about that, but I can't. In truth, I still love her. He said, but preacher, what can you do? You've tried everything in the book. To do. No, it ain't nothing else you can do. Give it up. Oh, no, he said, the Lord come by last night. Said he was talking to me. He reminded me of a plan. He said, a plan? What kind of plan? Oh, he said, there's a plan. Said, get your Bible and go back over to Leviticus. It talks about a plan. I couldn't use this plan before it got to here, but now I can use it since she's rock bottom. Got to get rock bottom for this plan to work. He said, Well, what plan are you talking about? He said, It's called the plan of redemption. He said, What's that plan all about? Remind me, plan. He said, Well, what God instituted the plan for in Israel is when something went wrong, something went real bad. That's what happened in Ruth's day. Something went real bad. All the men died. They're going to have to sell the farm. And thank God somebody in the family come along, Boaz redeemed it and put it back in order. God worked up a plan of redemption to put things back in order. <laughs> Aren't you glad for a plan that saved you and put things back in order? He said, I've got a plan. It's an old plan. It's been around since the book of Leviticus, but you and I know it's been around since the before the foundation of the world. A lamb slain. And it's the only plan. They won't know how the plan works. 
It's the only plan. But you know, anytime you talk about this plan of redemption, it always, no matter where you find it in the Bible, it always involves a price. That's what Boaz was up the gate about. He said, I won't buy this. I want to redeem. I want to set this thing straight. I, I, I want to put out a price uh, of redemption. And Hosea is wanting to go and he's wanting to purchase this girl, his wife, because he loves her and, and he's got the plan. But what about the price? Well, look, look, if you will, at the price that he's willing to pay. He said, so I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver for an omer of barley and a half omer of barley. Now, men have discussed and argued and talked down through the years about how much this price would equal to in our day. What Hosea gave for this woman, what would it equal to in your pocket? Would it be a thousand dollars? Would it be ten thousand dollars? Would it be a hundred thousand dollars? Well, I want to suggest to you it don't make no difference. Because the truth of the matter is, I believe he gave all he had. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Redemption always involves giving all you got. Yeah. Heaven didn't fiddle around and send an angel down here for me and you. Gave all it's had when he gave up his son. He spared not his only son. He paid the fullness of the price. He gave all he had. I don't think he left any of that barley behind. I don't think he left any silver behind. I think he loaded all the wagons up, went back in the closet, got that little sock out that had all that silver in it, got up in there and he headed down the road. He said in his heart, I'm going to the auction with one thing in mind. I'm going to offer a price so high that there won't be nobody else be able to bid against me. And even if they can, they won't do it. Because they'll say it's too much. It's too much. Can you see him as he goes down there at the auction? The auctioneer raises that hammer and he says, all right, we're going to bid this lady off. Who'll give the first price? I don't think he gets, I don't think it's time for anybody to say anything. There's a voice way out there in the back. Hosea jumps up on that wagon. He said, I got 15 pieces of silver. I got a bunch of barley and all the love that God can put in anybody's heart for that girl. And I want her. You can hear the moans and murmurs that are there. You can hear the other farmers, the other that were going to buy and say, I'm not going to pay that. They said it's too much. And one person said, well, you could get a new one for that. <laughs> Woo! He said, I don't want a new one. I want her because I've got love in my heart for that girl. And I come to bring her home and I'm going to pay it all. I want to draw your attention to Gomer. We've talked about how rough and rugged and sinful. You, you can, the Bible implies, you can figure it out. Hosea took her in and tried to do the best. And it's just nothing's worked and she's right back out there now. She's gone to the bottom. I can only imagine what she looked like, a woman living that lifestyle for so long. Don't you imagine she got beat up a few times by the old men that she was with? Maybe cut with a knife and bruised up. Probably been a long time since she'd even had a good meal, especially since she's become a slave. You could probably just count the ribs, skinny and bony. Maybe some arthritis is setting in. Hair all fuzzy, not, not even... Not, not able to take care of it, and maybe some teeth missing through the barroom brawls that she's been in. Scarred up, an awful wreck, an awful, awful wreck. 
And as they did in those days, they would unclothe uh, whoever they were going to sell so the buyers could see what they were going to get. And could you imagine such a horrible sight as, as people looked at her? And no doubt when they were bringing her up to auction her off, she could hear... She could hear the owner and the auctioneer talking as they always do. Now, what do you want the bid to begin at for her? And I can hear the auctioneer saying, well, you can look at her and tell she ain't worth much no more. She's just a shell of a woman. Don't think she'll ever be healthy again. And everybody else here knows what she's gone through and, and what she's done. The heart is they ain't going to pay much for her. I've been lucky. I guess if you started a half a piece of silver, if I can get a half a piece of silver, I'll be happy. And if I can't get that, I'll take her down to Egypt and I'll swap her off for an old mule or something if that's, if that's all I can get out of her. She's over here in this. She knows now what she's worth. <laughs> and can you see her standing up there unrobed in all of her nakedness and, and the scars and the sinfulness and the ugliness that has been wrought on her body and her head is bowed and I can see a tear dropping out in her mind. She's thinking, I've done it now. I went to the end of the rope. I've wrecked my life. It's over. The only hope I've got is somebody up here might pay just a little bit for me but then they won't like me and They'll mistreat me for what I've done to them. They all know about it. And if they don't want me, and then I'll have to go off somewhere else and, and be sold or traded for some animal. She said in her heart, It's over! It's over! Her head is bowed in that little old frail, bony body, thinking about the sins of her past, how awful she's been. The auctioneer raises up and says, Who'll give? I think it's the first time she ever heard the, the voice of God and it come out of His servant. Because when old Hosea stood up, and he said, I'll give, I'll be glad to give, I'll give it all for her. In her heart and in her mind, don't you know when she heard that voice, she said, Oh, I've heard that voice before. It's been a while since I... That can't be Him. Not after the way I see, surely he wouldn't. He don't know what I look like now. Surely he wouldn't pay that kind of price. And she raises up and looks, and here comes a running. Tears are flowing. He's seeing beauty they don't know anything about. He's not seeing the scars of sin. He's seeing the, someone that the love of God can cover a multitude of sin. And he runs in upon her. While the rest of the world's are shaking their head, he takes that coat off he's gotten. And that old shattered body, that old wretch of a woman, loves a beating in his heart. He throws it around her. Said, Baby, I want you to know I love you. <laughs> In her mind, she said, I don't understand that. I can't believe that. What a price. How can it be? And can you imagine when they headed home in the wagon? <clears throat> Ain't nothing in the wagon now but him and her and the youngins. He's done getting paid it for. Everybody's standing around watching them and said, they still bewildered. They ain't understood. The, the folks don't understand the love of God. Right. They experience, they're still shaking their head. Yeah. They're just shaking their head. <laughs> and I, I can hear the patriarchs of the community saying, that ain't going to last. Yeah. Didn't before. Yeah, well, redemption had never got into the picture. You see, because we not only see the plan of redemption, the price of redemption, we see the power of redemption. Right. Yes, Paul said it best. He said, for the love of Christ does what? Constraineth me. If there's anything that will change you, it would be the love of God. Huh? And the reason why the Lord could tell Hosea there's going to be a change because he knew his love can change what nobody could change. 
They're in that wagon riding on there. I can see her reach over and put her hand on his and say, honey, why'd you do it? Why'd you, why did you do it? He looked at in the eyes, the faded eyes of that girl, and he said, I, I just love you. I just love you. And don't you know many days around the home she can go look in the mirror She's not near the woman she used to be, little scars and teeth out, and one or two or something. She's thinking, oh, I, I, I just don't, I, I don't understand how he could love somebody that looks like I look. <laughs> just one kiss on the cheek could convince her, honey. It's not how you look that counts. It's what's in here that counts. <laughs> They're out on the front porch now. They night's closing out. They're probably having family devotion. And I can hear her say, "Honey, I hate to ask you again. If you don't mind, I know we've sung it the last six or eight nights, but can we sing that song one more time? I'm redeemed <laughs> by love divine. Yeah. Glory, glory." <laughs> He said, yeah, baby, that's my favorite song, too. And you know what? And they lived happily ever after. Because of a word of love. God can put a word of love in your heart that will change a boy or a girl son or a daughter, a boss on the job, a foreman, a neighbor. You only hope, you only hope is if God can use you to send a word of love. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for how far you came to reach me. I was the worst of the worst, and I was at my worst. And had you sent me to hell, you would have been justified in doing so. And I've yet to be able to explain to anybody why you didn't do it, except your divine love. And I ask you, Lord, work it in our hearts. Turn it and turn it and graft it so that we'll not just have a book. We'll not just have a sermon. We'll not just have a verse. But we'll have a word of divine love. Even if it's spoken, Lord, in places of which there is judgment. In Jesus' name we pray.